Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? I tell you, if I was in management, I wouldn't go to Spurs now. No way. I think Brandon Rodgers would be mad to go to Spurs. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. You ain't shit. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. My fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof it the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochford has never spoken to Jim McGinnis in his life. Andrew, welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us on five three one zero six. We're streaming the conversation as well now, so as well as listening on News Talk, you can watch us on the Off the Ball social channels for Periscope, for Twitter at Off the Ball, YouTube, uh, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. If you haven't got that already, search OTB Sports in your app store now to download it for iOS and Android. This is the Saturday panel. We're going to review the Sporting Week now with. Three great names. The former Inter-County senior hurling referee from Offaly, Brian Gavin, a veteran of four All-Ireland finals. The broadcaster, Alan Kierherlach, Kushta Nashunta, Gaelga GAA, Grony McElwain from Monaghan. And the former Irish basketball team captain and coach from Cork, Timmy McCarthy. Grony, Brian and Timmy, how are we all getting on? Great, good, John. Thank you. Good, great. John. Thanks. Great to have you. We only miss in one province. We got Monaghan, we got Offaly, we got Cork. We got Johnny Ward from Galway coming a bit later on, so we'll do okay. Yeah, well, I, I'll actually jump in there. I'm living in Galway now, so you're, you're covered, John. You're completely covered, Ronnie. <laughs> completely covered. Uh, looking forward to the chat over the next hour. Um, a lot happened this week. I'm going to start with golf. Uh, because there was a lot of things I took out of that PGA Championship. Phil Mickelson winning at the age of 50, Shane Larry and Patrick Harrington having the time of their lives. Uh, then we had the Port Marnock decision this week. Grania, uh, I wrote a piece for OTB Sports on Phil Mickelson and his genius and the fact that, I, in my mind, he beat time as a 50-year-old major winner. And then I was like, going through the internet in the last uh, 24 hours, and I saw you also wrote something about it, Oscar Elga. Yeah, I, I actually did a piece on that for Shockton. I write for Shockton. Um, it's in the Irish Independent every Wednesday. But it's kind of interesting. I was thinking of it as well. Like, you know, he's he's 50 years old and we're all going, wow, that's amazing. But he's also a pretty good golfer. Like, you know, and he's won what this is a sixth major, I think, as well. So it's not as if just any 50 year old just turned up and, and started playing golf. But um, what I really took from that, and I wouldn't be a massive follower of golf, but what I loved was the story behind it. And what I really love and admire about um, elite athletes and athletes of all senses is that they never give up. They never stop believing that they can get better, that they can win that next trophy or that next competition. And I think for him, like everybody was cheering. You could see the reaction when he was coming up the 18th and everyone was kind of mobbing him. But he never stopped believing that his best golf was yet to come. And even though other people were saying he was never going to do it again, um, he was he, he he knew that he could. And it kind of is all that mindset as well. Like you have that fixed mindset and the growth mindset and with at which athletes have is that growth growth mindset. So it was brilliant for him. It was brilliant to see that. And now he's hoping that he can go on, of course, do the, all the majors and that he can manage to win that next month. So we'll see if that will take place. But yeah, just in a bit of research I was doing as well, like it, it, it's, it is a, a lot of athletes, or not a lot of athletes, I should say. Some athletes do start maybe training quite late. And a name that jumped out at me was Breege Conley. Um, she was 38 years old and she took part in her first Olympics in Rio 2016. So she's, she's from Leitrim and she only started marathon running at the age of 25. 
2005, I think, and her first marathon, competitive marathon, was in 2005 at the Dublin City Marathon. And, and she ran that in four hours and one minute. And then, of course, we have an amazing example of never giving up and following your dreams, of course, Staunton, who plays, um, who played for Mayo and, of course, went on that fabulous journey in the AFL as well and, 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 got, and got picked on the AFLW team of the year, too. So, I mean, she's 39 years of age and, again, has changed sports, has come back from massive injuries um, to keep getting better and stronger. So I just think a lesson for the rest of us here that maybe don't have the same mindset, but is that never give up on your dreams, never give up on maybe something that you want to learn and that you are never too old to do that. Yeah, there's hope for us all. I think, uh, Timmy, uh, 53 years since uh, that record had stood from Julius Boris, 1968, to Phil Mickelson. You're a golfer, you're a coach. What was your takeaway from his great win? Well, I thought he was uh, like very confident of his own ability. That was the thing that I really was impressed me. It was fascinating to watch. I mean, you know, but it's a sport that allows you to perform at an older age. You know, um, Grady mentioned Cora Staunton, but there's not a lot of sports, you know, that allow you to perform at an older age. And there are some exceptions. Brady, obviously, in the NFL and in, in the States. But what I loved about Mickelson was he was in control of himself. That was the thing that separated him, I thought, throughout the four days, but particularly in the, in the closing nine holes. The big thing about the course, though, it suited a short game expert. And he's probably one of the best short game exponents in the game of golf. So watching him, I felt to myself, you know, once he can get the ball in play, once he can get down, you know, around the green, he gives himself a great chance. And it's a course that suited that. It's a bit like when Watson almost won the Open a number of years ago at 60. You know, there are certain courses that suit older players who don't hit the ball as far, even though Mickelson did at one stage outdrive Kepke in a, in a par five, which was, you know, everybody got excited about the length he was hitting the ball. But I thought the difference from Mickelson was his mindset, his confidence, the clarity, and he controlled the controllables. That's what I loved about it. He, the pace he walked at, the pace he played the game at, he didn't allow Kepke, who wanted to be quicker, influence him in any way. He stayed in his own zone, and then when it came to short game, um, requirements he delivered in the crunch situation. I mean, he, we should remember he went around and won over. You know, he did. He he won the tournament. You know, after dropping a, a shot in the final round against what he his lead coming into it. But what he was is he was in control of himself right throughout. And whatever age you are, if you're in control of yourself, whether you're a, a teenager, whether you're in the county, you know, a senior player or a club player, if you control yourself. That gives you the best chance to perform to your best. And Mickelson did that better than anybody in the four days of the PGA. Yeah, you can see the impact of meditation on Phil there. He's taking the deep breaths over every shot. And Brian, also, it was great to see your neighbour, uh, Shane Larry and Patrick Harrington, a couple of lads like they were just out for a game anywhere around Ireland in a global sport, watched around the world, played around the world, tied for fourth in the major. Said to me a lot about the word enjoy. You've got to enjoy what you do in life. And if you enjoy what you do, you play with freedom. Well, you do indeed, John. And I think, you know, anyone that knows Shane Lowry and Parry Carrington, they really enjoy each other's company. And Timmy alluded to it there. It, you know, the short game last weekend in, in tricky conditions really suited both Parry and Shane, especially in the final day when the wind blew very strong. And, you know, it suited middle, Phil Mickelson as well. But it was amazing to see Phil coming back from the mistake he made on the 12th on the Saturday. I think it was the 12th or 13th hole where he drove it into the war and had to drive again and split the fairways. You know, if that was any other golfer, he would have really feel feeling the pressure. So, uh, you know, Phil's experience in, in, in a tricky situation like that was second to none. But, you know, Shane and Porrick uh, really enjoyed themselves. You could see the crack they were having. It was nearly like if they were playing in a pro-am uh, on the 17th where they were sort of hugging each other and fist pumping. But they'd be well known to having $50 competitions among each other. 
chipping around the greens wherever you are. They've become very, very close friends. And uh, it's great to see. And when you looked at the leaderboard last Sunday night and see two green, white and gold flags right beside each other up around third or fourth, you know, it, it just proved what remarkable ambassadors those two men are for our great co uh, country. So it, it, it was a joy to see. And as Shane's mother often said, Bridgie, when, he, when Shane was growing up in Esker Hills, him and Alan would go out and Brendan and they'd play for a fiver. And it wasn't really as much the fiver. It was to see who could win and it's the competitive edge. And that's why Shane's short game really, really stands him to great steed in these competitions. But it was wonderful to see. And uh, I, I really enjoyed Phil winning. I would have loved to see him doing a few fist pumps on the heat, but I think he was very weary of the crowd. People jumping on his back, yeah. You know, so <laughs> it, it was great to see. You must have high hopes for Shane. He hasn't changed since he won the Open, Brian. You must have high hopes for your neighbour in Clara going forward for the next few years. They can win more than one major. I think so, John, yeah. And I think he's really settled into the to the limelight and the big uh, hustle and bustle of uh, professional golf at such a high level. Like, it's a, another huge step up even from the European Tour, the tour that Shane plays now. And he's really getting to, you know, you see him out practising with Dustin Johnson. Uh, and he's very, very popular guy in the tour with everyone. I think everyone that he meets or has a good word to say about him. But his experience that he's after gaining, even from the mishap a few years ago in the USPGA, when, when he had the four-shot lead, like he has really bounced back well from that. And, you know, the scenes we've seen in Portrush last year, I, I can definitely see Shane uh, winning another major. And it's great because he's such a level-headed guy. And, and we're very unfortunate here in Offaly G8 that he's come on board with us as well. So he's really a down-to-earth nice guy and, uh, you know, a genuine fella that uh, we wish all the best in the future. But I think, as you say, John, there's another major coming soon. How much is that going to change Offaly GAA, Brian? I think, John, it's, it's the money end of it. Not money can't buy anything. What it can do, though, is give the expertise that Shane might go up and talk to players, give them that belief that, you know, where he started from, where Offaly can get to, you know. He, he, it's important, though, that he's probably friendly with JP and Kieran McManus. And he, he would have got really good advice off JP about what way he set up his financial involvement with Limerick GA and he said to Shane to target it at underage and that's what Shane is committed to do in Offaly GA so that's what will happen over the next few years we're under no illusion here in Offaly GA John what has to be done and where we need to go but I think results lately and things like Shane coming on board uh, I think we've two steps up the ladder and we've another five or six to go but I think we're heading up instead of down and it's great to see him on board with us Limerick has approved two All-Irelands in the last three years after being in disarray a, a decade ago. Grown, yeah, Port Marnock this week opening up to women members, 83% of the club's members voting for that. Now, under a Supreme Court judgment from 2009, Port Marnock had not been breaking the law by not allowing women members. The Supreme Court said in their ruling back then that Port Marnock was not a discriminating club under the Equal Status Act. So this is the club's decision this week. But from a moral standpoint, Grown, yeah, good to see. Time to bring things into the 22nd century, not the 19th century. Absolutely. I mean, you have to welcome it. I know it, as a lot of it made up the amount of vote, I think it was 83.4% in favour and there was 16.6% that weren't in favour of allowing this to happen. But you have to welcome it. I mean, it's 127 years later that this is happening. Um, and I, I think, I suppose, one thing that stands out being very positive about it is that, that you, can you can have all your traditions and your cultural identity, but still, um, oldest institutions, they can still change, and change is to be welcomed, and, and change is good. So you'd have to welcome it in a very positive um, positive mind, same from that. But I think as well, like, it, it's you, you kind of think this is a once-off thing, but Augusta, I think, only opened, was it in 2012? And they That's still right, yeah. have yet, they still have refused to host uh, a women's um, 
Masters tournament, a major tournament there as well, I think. So, I mean, there, there are some elements out there that still feel that women should not be involved in this. So in Ireland in particular, I think we're very open. But my experience anyway is that we're very open to having women involved in all sectors. We're 50% of the population. It's only right that this should happen. So I think it's great that those people still clinging on to the way that it used to be are now being told, no, things have to change. We're moving forward. So it's a very welcome development and very positive and, and looking forward to see um, the women getting involved in that. And interesting to see the men maybe that voted against taking part, are they actually going to stay involved in Port Marnock Golf Club or what are they going to do? So it's, it's welcome and it's about time. To wrap up the golf week, uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, Timmy, does golf need, that genteel game of golf need a rivalry like that when you have uh, two lads uh, doing a bit of trash talking? Well, it's never a bad thing because, don't forget, you know, from a TV point of view, there's the more trash talking, there's more entertaining in that sense, right? I mean, if you take the Mickelson-Woods rivalry, you know, there's no doubt Mickelson would have won more majors only for he clashed his career with Woods. So that that rivalry was obviously great for TV and for, uh, for TV audiences. And even last weekend, this show, again, the TV ratings when Mickelson was in, in the hunt at the end of the PGA were enormous in that sense. So I do believe golf needs rivalry and sports need rivalries. Whether DeChambeau is the best guy to have, I'm not convinced about it. You know, I think Kepka definitely is. I like I like Kepka. I like his, his style. I like the fact that, you know, he feels that everyone is against him and therefore, you know, he's very upfront about it. Um, I'm not sure DeChambeau is the best rival to have in that sense because I think DeChambeau's career, you know, is in flux. I'm not sure how many more majors he's going to win where you can see Kepka win majors. But yes, there should be more rivalries. I just would like to see somebody other than DeChambeau be a rivalry to uh, Kepka going forward. Yeah, um, Bryson DeChambeau, like he <laughs> defies opinion. And he's a little bit of, I don't know if he's a villain, but Patrick Reed, I would say, is a bit of a villain. But you also need um, players that you necessarily might not love as well in the game. Um, Gaelic games-wise, Grania, uh, after the, the last few weeks of the hurling and the football leagues, what have been your main takeaways? We've got a very uh, competitive battle up in, up in Ulster with the North League there, with uh, Tyrone Armagh, Monaghan and Donegal. What have you uh, learned and taken out of the league so far in hurling and football that'll uh, maybe give you a bit of insight for the championship? Well, I think in, in Ulster football, I think everyone who's been trashing Ulster football in recent years needs to apologise and just go back how open the football has been. <laughs> We've had some brilliant games, particularly last weekend, if we start with football. I mean, who would have thought Armagh, Tyrone, Donegal and Monaghan, we'd have nine goals uh, alone in those matches. So that's been, that's been a really big takeaway. But no, I mean, it's it's... It's been really lovely to watch. It's really attacking football. Um, I suppose from Donegal, you're looking at kind of defences and kind of defensive problems there um, that, you know, will have to be addressed, you know, if they want to progress any further. I suppose in terms of Monaghan, you're seeing new players and they've used the league to actually showcase a few new players and new talent there. Good. I suppose for Down, that was their defensive system. Again, you're kind of going, gosh, are they going to stay with that? Or are we going to see any change in times of the championship or what's going to happen there? But I suppose the big game um, was Dublin and Kerry. And I think we're all kind of looking at, well, what team can take on in Dublin in this year's championship? Are we going to see Dublin winning Sam Maguire yet again? And I think what we saw last weekend was we saw how great Kerry's attack is. And we all knew that. But yet again, their Achilles heel for the last couple of years has been their defence. And there's been so much talk about that defence. So last Last year they were criticised for being totally ultra defensive and that you know they were going away totally from their game and then this year they're not defensive enough so they're trying to find that balance from that 
But I suppose the two players that you're talking about, maybe player of the year and, and kind of who is it going to between as it stands at the moment is like Conor Callahan and David Clifford. Like they've been immense for both Dublin and Kerry. They were very, very impressive, oppressive last year. And then just to very quickly give, you know, that's all division one that we could take away. But I think there's a very honourable mention needed to be made for Colm Collins and Cork as well. And just the amount of work um, that they have, that he has done, and what Claire, how good Claire have been as well. And just to remind, they're going to be playing later on today, like you know, a draw or a win against Cork, and we'll see them um, in a semi-final and, and possibly getting into Division One. So that's a huge success story as well for not having the same resources for so many players, like high-profile players leaving, like Gary Brennan, like um, Gordon Kelly, and even Jamie Malone's injured. But it doesn't matter. Like we bring in new players and we build from there. So I just love Column's attitude for that. And then I, I suppose in hurling, if you want me to go on, I suppose as well, John, and just in, in hurling, I suppose it has been kind of the talk about that have been the have been the rules um, and the new rule and 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 the penalty and and I suppose are they kind of, is it destroying the spectacle of hurling and I and I just would say very briefly about that I think like these rules have just been brought in for referees it's been really really difficult because they haven't had any time to perfect them they haven't had any challenge games they haven't had any time to implement certain things how it's going on I think a lack of consistency kind of possibly um has been difficult for everybody to start off with but I'm I'm hopeful towards the end as the championship comes another four or five, five or six weeks I think till this all begins so you would imagine by that stage that a lot of will have bedded down and both players and referees and ever be more um consistent and more sure of, of what of what's going to happen and then of course yeah. there's a wider debate on whether we want to see these rules taking taking place from from now on. So that's another debate yeah. for another day. But they are in for this year. But I think I think we have to be respectful and give time to people as well, just to get used to them too. And because of COVID, because of what's happened, no one has had that extra game time before the league started to actually implement them. So um, so it, it's interesting times ahead. You've given uh, Brian Gavin a great uh, line in here, uh, Gronje. Like it's like a, a top hat and a magic wand. Brian Gavin, for all Ireland hurling finals, you refereed the advantage rule, the rules in football. Tom O'Shea is having a go this morning in the Irish Independent. What is your take on the rules at the moment? Yeah, it's it's after being it's after starting at a whirlwind pace, and I suppose that the one we were all talking about on the hurling front, John, was the penalty, and you know we didn't see five or six incidents of that last year and we said this year it'll be down to probably three or four which it will be and uh, the cynical foul had to be addressed in Hurland there's no doubt at all about that and the penalty was brought in uh, the, it's after catching the football people by surprise that you know a lot of people didn't think that would be brought in into the football and you know we saw the repercussions of the Roscommon Dublin game in round one I don't think it's for football personally I think the sin bin uh, or the black card was adequate enough in the football it's come into hurling and it is a it'll work in hurling i've no doubt at all about that the one thing that sort of crept under the carpet was the advantage rule and it was all the talk and in the last two weeks no one talked about it before it happened so crow park and the referees committee instructed the referees to give the free instead of the advantage and they says the advantage is a free now it is maybe in in your attacking area or your 50 or 60 yards out in hurling in particular you have a good free taker and he won't miss but if a player is coming out of back lane john and he's going to break the tackle or you know one or two seconds you'd have to allow him to get his head up pass the ball on and move it on to the next player so uh it, it's it's after starting with a lot of freeze. I can see it already last week with Paul Dwyer and John Keenan using their head, using a little bit of common sense. And it 
it, it made the game and spectacle a lot better. But, you know, we're after seeing, would you believe, football has nearly taken over Hurling, John. And I have to say the Armagh-Tyrone uh, game last Saturday night, I watched a whole lot of it. It was probably one of the best games of football I've seen in a long, long time. And uh, it was just up and down. So, um, you'd hope, as Grania said, in the next five or six weeks, a little bit of common sense will come back. Everyone will just reset the button, which I think the referees have taken on board themselves in Hurland. They didn't want this advantage brought in. So I, I think it'll be the reset button before championship and hopefully things will die down because it needs. We can't be looking at 40 or 50 frees in a Hurland game, that's for certain. Referees didn't want it, that's interesting, Brian. Um, I watched Jason Ford hit that uh, free for Tipperary against Cork from inside his own half a few weeks ago. And to me, that almost came across as routine. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't have the manufacturing minutiae in my head or the dimensions to know the slitter, it seems to me, to be too light. Is it too light? Am I wrong? Yeah, it is, John. I'd have to say, in, in even like this, the market for slitters is unbelievable. People might realize, realize this, but you have at least eight or 10 different companies now and they're all trying to nearly outdo each other with the proper slitter and the right slitter and it has to go through the test in, in Crow Park and there's about five or six approved slitters at the moment but it is a little bit light and now don't forget I suppose the hurls and the lighter hurls and the strength and conditioning of some of the players is a factor too but 90 metres easily most players are striking the slitter now which is too far and it, it leads for a free-taking competition especially when you see Jason Ford coming back he was the guts of definitely 90 metres maybe more and at his ease probably cleared the crossbar 10 or 15 yards so I think in the next year or two the slitter will just have to be re-looked at again and because at the moment it's just going way too far and even if you looked at the puckouts, I know last Sunday with Waterford and uh, Limerick the water goalkeeper was landing 113. Now, I know he'd a bit of a breeze, but by God, it put you under some pressure when a slitter's landing down in your in, in your own square, that's for certain. Is this making Hurling less of a attractive spectacle, uh, Timmy? I saw Limerick put 30 points on Waterford last year. It wouldn't have happened in the late 90s. Now, this is not just a harking back to tradition, but the game is changing. Well, games change and games evolve. I mean, Brian's point about the slitter is interesting. I can remember my buddy, Jack Cunningham, in the 82 and 83 finals, which we lost to Kilkenny, put the slitter into the 14-yard line, you know, which was a heavy slitter. So, you know, and so players will always move with the times. And the slitter is definitely lighter now. And the Hurleys, we call them Hurleys, Brian, you call them Hurleys. But the Hurleys <laughs> are obviously are slightly different now. But the big thing that's different in all games is the, the physique of the players. You know, science has changed the game. The, f the physical attributes of the players has changed the game. Their strength and conditioning has changed the game. But fundamentally, it's a game of skills. So I, I don't believe that the game, you know, hurling is in trouble. I mean, you know, there's a few rules and, you know, people have to get used to them. I mean, what I've, what I've been impressed with in the hurling so far is that, you know, teams are, you know, starting to step up. Waterford stepped up. Cork have stepped up. Tipperary have stepped up. Limerick have, you know, you know, obviously taken a bit of a beating so far, but that's not a really an indicator of what's going to happen in the championship. But so teams are stepping up. Wexford have stepped up again, who, who lost their way last year. So I like what's happening in the hurling. And on the football side, I, I think what's fascinating in the football side is that, you know, all the teams, are, it's like a game of chess at the moment. I mean, Grony made a point about the Northern team scoring goals for fun. But when the championship comes, will they maintain that openness or will they revert to type? Because right now, I, I believe all the inter-county teams are trying to stay in the divisions they're in or get promoted and trying to be ready for the championship because in football, it's knockout. So, you know, Kerry don't want to get caught again this year in Munster like they did last year against Cork. So there's a lot of things happening, but I don't believe the game, any of the games are suffering. I really believe that the game is evolving 
And when we get to the championship and dry weather and, and, and hard ground, I think we'll see, you know, the, the skills, you know, being shown by the talented, physically um, supreme athletes. Uh, five three one zero six. This is the start of the panel. Go on, go on, Brian, yeah. John, just like I'm here in O'Connor Park today and I'm covering the game for Midlands 103. And one thing we have learned this year is the new league format with two teams of four is absolutely fabulous stuff. Like you take Offaly, who's top of the Division 3 South here today, can still end up in relegation. So every game is meaningful. And I know maybe Crow Park might say, from a financial point of view next year, well, there won't be as many matches. But at the moment, the new format with the two groups of four is absolutely fascinating stuff. And it's a joy to be watching. And most teams every weekend have something to play for, whether it's scoring difference or whatever. And there's semi-finals now for relegation and semi-finals to get promoted. So I think if we can learn nothing from this pandemic is the two groups of four are really, really great stuff. Yeah, and this is Brian Gavin, Grainne McElwain and Timmy McCarthy on the Saturday panel. You can text us on 53106 with any questions. Just before we go to the break, Timmy, Cork Hurling putting seven goals past Westmeath. Um, is, is, is Cork Hurling engaged in a bit of a renaissance under Kieran Kingston? Because you'd love to see it, because Cork Hurling to me has always been an idea. It's been about swagger. It's been about um, that confidence when you get to Croke Park. We haven't seen that now for 16 years. So as a humble and modest Corkman, I can guarantee you we're going to win the All-Ireland after that sure, performance last week. <laughs> no, but on a serious note, I do believe that, you know, Kieran and his, his team have done a lot of great work. Jack Cunningham's involved. Donald O'Grady coming into the back room is a great addition, I believe, to, to Cork. And, you know, they've definitely improved. They've brought a couple of new players in. They've you know, lost some of the older players. So there's definitely a new bounce. What I like about Cork at the moment where they're going is they're playing with a great pace. And I've always believed in sport. Pace is really important. So I'd be optimistic that Cork could have a good campaign this year. Uh, 53106. Uh, great to hear Brian Gavin, the greatest ref in any sport in any era. No coincidence he refed uh, some of the greatest games of all time. He used common sense in his head. Hurling fans owe him a debt of gratitude. That is from Sean in Wexford. Wexford and Offaly rivalry not on the Saturday panel today. We're back on Off the Ball on News Talk after this. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. And this is Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us on 53106 or tweet us at Off the Ball. Just to give you some scores uh, from around the country. Lots of uh, Gaelic Games matches today. In Camogie, Waterford, five points. Cork, 110 in Group 2 in Division 1 at Walsh Park. That match threw in at two o'clock in Shelburne, nil. Wexford, Youths, nil in the Women's National League. Also a two o'clock start for that one. We're back with the panel, reviewing the sporting week just gone and building up as well to tonight uh, with the former Intercounty Senior Hurling Referee from Offaly, Brian Gavin, a veteran of four All-Ireland Finals. The broadcaster on Cahirlach, Cushta, Nashunta, Gaelga, GAA, Grania McElwain from Monaghan and Cork's Timmy McCarthy, the former Irish basketball team captain and coach. You can listen to us on News Talk. Also watch us on the social channels for Off The Ball for Periscope on Twitter, at Off The Ball, YouTube, Facebook and on the OTB Sports app. The Champions League final, Timmy McCarthy, we've got to start with you because you're a Chelsea fan. Um, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. It's great to be there. And, you know, it's very unexpected for us. Um, 2012, we had a similar situation. We didn't expect to get there. You know, we were a, a sort of a, an old team on their last legs. And we went to um, Bayern Munich and uh, in their home stadium uh, and snuck a victory in penalty shooters. So, look, Man City are the best team, you know, t going out in the field tonight. There's no doubts about that. They've shown that right throughout the season gone far. But Chelsea have done well on occasions and Tuchel, you know, has definitely changed him and, and evolved him. So I, I'm not confident that we're going to win because City are better. But I'm really hoping that we win and I really want to win this one because it'll be great to have a second Champions League, you know, for a club that, you know, have, have would have appeared in a third final. So I'm really excited. I'm really looking forward to it. 
and my fingers are crossed, my toes are crossed, and everything else that can be crossed in the house can be, will be crossed tonight. And um, let's go, Chelsea. Speaking about the house, uh, your son Brian must have had a, a nice memory during the week uh, to me because he played for Athlone Town once against Villarreal, I believe. Yeah, it was actually a, a great memory for both of us because I can remember being at the game and he actually played really well on the night. No, they were superb. It was actually fantastic to watch them how they played football and the fact that they've gone on out to, to win a fascinating game the other against United for him is a brilliant memory and for me obviously as, as a pro forwarder and uh, the fact he played so well on the night and the fact that um, we saw a, a style of football that we're not used to seeing because it was all about football. And I thought on um, Wednesday night we saw that as well, you know. I hope tonight won't go to 11 um, penalty shootout you know, with Chelsea because I'm, I'd be convinced that um, the city keeper would be better than Mendy at taking the penalties. So let's hope we get, you know, we, we, we get a win. Whether we get the win in the penalty shoot or, or in the game itself, let's hope we get it. But definitely the fact that Brian played against the current uh, EuroLeague champions is a nice thing in the McCarthy household. Uh, the European sports Super Bowl is the way I describe the Champions League. I think it's absolutely amazing spectacle. Um, Gronje, does it stir emotions in you, the Champions League final? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, as you said, it's a spectacle. And, and whether you're a massive football fan or not, it's something that you will sit down and watch. But, I mean, I think it's interesting as well because, like... Some, I suppose some of the major games that would have stood out for me involved English teams through the years that would have been brilliant not, not to miss moments but there's always so much pressure involved and I know Manchester City are favourite to go and, and win this evening but yet they've never won the title before and Pep Guardiola you could arguably say the reason that he got the job in Manchester City in 2016 was because he had delivered Champions League titles, titles with Barcelona so there, there is a lot of pressure on him even though they've won the Premier League title and Chelsea as well as well even though they say yeah there's no pressure but there's pressure from above that they win titles and it's proven other times when Chelsea have won a lot of titles they st the manager still lost their job at the end of the season so it'll be interesting to see if Tuchel manages to win tonight well I'm sure he'll get an enhanced contract and if he doesn't well is Abramovich going to keep him uh, keep him around and the same with Pep I think there's probably a lot of pressure from within him too this is the, this is the trophy that he desperately wants and the players desperately want and the likes of Aguero and stuff and there was a lovely article that Jamie Carragher had in the Indo I think earlier on today just talking about once you win this medal or once you win this cup you're in a very elite company throughout the world so um, those players Kevin De Bruyne they really desperately want to win this this medal so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the game pans out and how both sides deal with the pressure and management this evening too Brian do you keep a close on the referee in this situation or is it just all about the football for you I often uh, looked at soccer matches John and I'd say to myself God, I think I'd be able to referee one of them, you know, because <laughs> there was never many frees and the pitch was never that big. It would have suited me. So I often thought I'm making a very good soccer referee, but uh, that, that, no, I wouldn't be a huge soccer man, John, but I would follow it and have an interest. And you, you compared it to the Super Bowl there. I probably compared it to something like the Masters. You know, it is the major event of, of the soccer season. And uh, it, it's great to see Man City and Chelsea make the final because, you know, we've, whether we like it or not, in Ireland, we have a huge amount of uh, supporters following different teams in the Premiership. And, you know, I, I think back to 2005 when Liverpool came from nowhere to get that draw in normal time and winning penalties again, AC Milan. And, you know, I had all the, a lot of my friends were following Liverpool and we 10 euro bets and 20 euro bets. And Laura, at half time, you think, oh, this is handy money. You know, I should look at soccer more often or whatever. But, uh, you know, that, that's the memories I have. And I, I, I'd say tonight too, the, the pressure that's on Man City, John, as, you know, not winning it, it's the same nearly as in All-Ireland. 
like Mayo maybe in football, something like that. It'd be huge pressure on City tonight to perform and win this game. Uh, and one would see Chelsea would have a fair chance here in a 50-50 game, even though Man City, as Timmy said, are way the better team. But in finals, that doesn't count for anything. And you know, I hope it's a cracker tonight because I'll actually be sitting down and looking at it, looking forward to it. You hope the nerves will be okay, uh, uh, Timmy. Uh, just I've got a text in here on 53106 from a dad in Limerick. Dan Martin's stage victory in the Giro was unbelievable. I feel he could win one of the big tours if he had a stronger team around him. Uh, Timmy, it is an amazing how we got Sam Bennett last year and he's a sprinter and then Dan Martin is an endurance uh, cyclist. He, he's, he's a man for the climbs. And just we should be very proud of what they do because it's once again, there's a, a big global element to this. We should always proud of our international athletes who, who perform at that level, irrespective of what the sport is, because, you know, we're a small country. We've got to keep reminding ourselves we're, we're a very small country of four and a half million people in the Republic and obviously one and a half million people in, in, in the North. So we're small in the context of, of international sport. But what we've always done is we've punched above our weight really well in different sports on different occasions. So whatever the sport is. We should be immensely proud of anybody who's put on an international jersey and gone out and competed at that level. And whether they're successful or not, you know, against the opposition, the fact that they've got to that level is a huge achievement. And, you know, you, you talk with the two, the, the two cyclists, I mean, you know, they don't have the best teams and yet they're performing against the odds currently and they have for the last couple of years. So I'm always proud of our, of our international athletes, whether it is rowers, you know, whether it is athletics, whether it is, you know, soccer teams, whether it is... Um, cyclists, the fact that they're representing our country, rugby players are the same, they're doing it to the best of their ability and they're performing at that level from a small base is something we should all be exceptionally proud of in this country. Yeah, Dan Martin uh, winning the stage there in the Giro d'Italia during the week. Uh, what are we talking about Naomi Osaka, um, a, a charismatic figure, um, a Grand Slam tennis winner, and she's going to refuse to speak to the media after matches at the French Open because of the impact it has had on her mental health. And the WTA, the governing body, issued a statement growing you. Uh, they welcome a dialogue with Naomi and all players to discuss possible approaches that could help support an athlete as they manage any concerns related to mental health, while also allowing us to deliver upon our responsibilities to the fans and public. Professional athletes have got a responsibility to their sport and their fans to speak to the media surrounding their competition, allowing them the opportunity to share their perspective and tell their story. She's earned $55 million over the last year, uh, $5 million in prize money, the rest in endorsements. Um, is she right to take a stand? And she'd been brilliant on the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, or is she misguided in this instance, do you think? I, I don't think it's 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 purely black and white. Um, for me personally, I always think athletes should speak after um, they've done an event. And the reason I say that is because I often think as a journalist, as a broadcaster, when you're interviewing somebody, you know, they're not actually speaking to you. They're speaking to the people at home, the public that can't be there and the fans that maybe are in the, in the arena that can't actually ask the question. So you're asking them questions. So I always think it's very disrespectful for somebody when you're interviewing them not to um, not to answer the question in the correct way or to come up with these cliches and not having thought about it because you're not talking to me. I'm just asking a question that everyone at home or in the arena wants to hear. So in that respect, I do feel that you should speak. And I, and I also feel, I suppose, for someone who would have covered a lot of women's sport um, uh, for a long number of years, they never got the same recognition or publicity that other sports would have got. So I always thought it was really important to get that message out there and to convey that message so that it's taken up by 
by print journalism, by radio, by media, by social media. So she's in a different area in that she is a, a very well-recognised athlete and a very well-paid athlete. But I also think as well, um, if she goes into um, a press conference, and it's also very incumbent on the journalist and broadcaster too, not to ask stupid questions. And what I mean by that is that you're very professional in the questions that you're asked. You're non-judgmental. Um, you're respectful to them. You're fair and balanced in the questions that you ask. And it's relevant to what you're talking about. So some questions I know that have been touted that she's been asked about, like maybe an image or comparisons with other tennis stars, etc., in terms of appearance rather than actual play. Like, that's not acceptable. Like, if you're in ask, but you should be able to ask questions that are fair and balanced, and then she should be able to give those back. And I think one of the things she said to John was that, you know, she's getting asked a lot of the same questions and stuff. And, and I think whoever's running the organ or, and the tournament or the event well, that is her PR person or someone there needs to stand up and go, hang on a second, you've answered that question already. You don't need to answer the question the same five times. So I think that's important. But it also raises the debate as well about, about social media and the debate, debate now as well about traditional media and how we get our news. I mean, Donald Trump did it extremely successful in his run as president. Like he bypassed the media or he just pricked media that actually was going to give his message. And he just had his own literally TV view on Twitter and, and, and social media. So everyone could hear what his thoughts was. So in one way, she doesn't need the traditional media because she can give her message, but also she's just giving her message. She's not being questioned about um, things that we would like to ask her. So I, I do think, I think it's a, it's a pity that she's not going to talk. Um, I mean, the fine means nothing. I think is it up to like $20,000 yeah. perhaps that she could be fine? Like that's nothing when you're making millions um, for tournaments. So it's the money's not an aspect of her, but she feels strongly about that. Maybe there's a particular method or format of the press conference that she really has issue with. And I think as a tournament, they would need to sit down and go, well, maybe how can we improve how we actually ask our questions or convey questions? But I do think it's important for athletes and lead stars, in my personal opinion, to speak because I think it's it's letting the people at home, and you're a role model for young people as well. They need to hear your voice. They want to look up to you and hear what you think. So for me, it's important, but I think there's probably more teasing out to do on the reasons why she feels so against doing press conferences. Um, if TV companies didn't shell out millions for rights, uh, there'd be less coverage, less interest, less earning potential. But as you say, it is a bit of a game changer. Like she feels that she's got legitimate reasons and serious reasons for not speaking. But it is a game changer that you can bypass now. It's uh, it's like a town that's bypassed by motorway. Um, it's interesting, Brian, because uh, I know Gaelic Games is amateur and there's less of an obligation with amateur sport to talk. But I'm sure after many hurling finals, the last thing uh, we're talking 30 hurlers want to do is speak to the media. Yeah, and it's a very tricky one, especially in the GA. Like, you take, I'm even here today, John, and uh, I, I'd be part of the local media, the, the papers, I'm on the radio, then you'd have RT looking for John Mohan and David Power. So there'd be about four different interviews, and probably they're asked the same thing, and have to repeat themselves maybe four times. But as Grania says, it's vital that we get the message out of what's coming back, coming from the management, how the game went, how the, the match went. And I think it's only right and fair that we approach players or managers when we're looking for interviews that, you know, we asked them the right questions, as Grania said, we were polite. Now, some of them, naturally enough, especially in GA, uh, you could be waiting for maybe a half an hour, an hour after a game, and uh, to be in a dressing room, dressing, you know, obviously not with COVID, but going back, and they might be out for half an hour, 40 minutes, and, you know, it's a long wait for any media there, and you have to type up your report and get it in, but um, she mentioned you know, mental health issues about, you know, it puts her in bad form when she has these. I'd say it's one or two people to ask her maybe, as Grania said, silly or stupid questions that uh, has arisen from this. But 
you know, a person of her standard and the example she should be setting. You know, you'd imagine uh, there should, should be some sort of mediation around it. But, you know, I think it's vital that we get the message out after games and we get the interviews. People love to, to, to listen to. Like podcasts are so huge now and reaction to matches are so huge. Uh, you know, like you'd be chatting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday about as did you hear what such a lad said about his team? And that's what we need. You know, we, we need to hear feedback from inside the camp. And uh, it, it's great. And I, I'd say the majority of managers and players out there are, are uh, very feasible to it. But it's disappointing when you read something like that uh, for a person that's in such a high high stage, you know. You'd hope they sorted out to me because she's been a breath of fresh air, Naomi Osaka, in tr- the way she's taken stances on things with the mask and all that kind of thing last year. Yeah, and I think this is a very interesting uh, development. First of all, she's professional. So there is a difference between professional sports and, and amateur sports like the GA. So, you know, there is a difference. I mean, there are they're expected. I mean, in, in their contracts, they're expected. They're, 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 they have to speak to the media. So for somebody to say she's not going to speak to the media, um, and as Grind said, the fine is irrelevant, $20,000, is a big development and is a really risky development. So, you know, what I would say in a professional sport, you know, you have to speak to the media. Now, obviously, you'd expect the media to ask proper questions and I can remember when I did a Ryder Cup and there was NBC, Sky, BBC Radio and I was doing RT Radio and we were interviewing the players after the matches and you know I was always trying to listen to the other questions to ask have a different question when they got down to me but I remember asking Tiger Woods a question which had nothing to do with the ones he asked earlier and he still answered me the same way he asked the previous three so sometimes athletes give bland answers but I think the only way sports are going to deal with this is if they basically say unless you answer questions at the media the media have to ask the right questions. You can't partake in the tournament because Brian. it's a professional sport. Brian, Gavin, you got to go. Is the Mohan Revolution going to continue this afternoon? Oh, hopefully, John. We, we, we're, we're down a couple of players today. We've two good defenders out injured, both uh, David Dempsey and Johnny Maloney. But uh, we, there was a cracking game last year with Offaly and Tipperary in the league. I think today the sun is out. Perfect conditions. It's going to be a good open game of football. But I think the revival of football, John, is well and truly underway and let's hope this attack and football can keep going because it's very enjoyable number one to be looking at but number two to commentate on Brian Gavin uh, thanks so much for that uh, just before we go Gronia McIlwain um, the return of these test events and trial events I feel light at the end of the tunnel is, is upon us yeah it's exciting isn't it it's great um, I, I, I always said when we started last year I used to be in the packed venues going I wonder what it's like to hear what they're saying on the sideline and little did I know that I actually would be able to hear everything they're saying on the sideline but um, but no it, it's great to have fans back because you just realise how integral fans are and that whole atmosphere of just willing teams on as well and so it's great to have them back it's, it's small to start off with which we can expect I'm sure but I think as the vaccine and um, hopefully we're getting, and it is getting faster. We're moving in the right direction. We'll see more fans, and let's hoping by the All Ireland Finals that we'll have more than what we're forecasting at the moment. And and we should do if the vaccine has gone up um, correctly. We've massive venues that we can hold more than five thousand people. So let's just hope we can get as many people as, as safely allowed um, as All Ireland Finals come. But there's definitely light at the tunnel, and it's great to some of these games as well that we'll see fans being being back in too. So it's it's good it's good for everyone. It's good news for everybody. And the evidence in the UK, Timmy, is that it. It's it's fine, really. It's yeah, it's definitely fine. But it's it's great that it's opening up for all age groups. You know, we were talking earlier, growing myself, you know, before the program started about, you know, she was coaching under eights this morning. So it's not just at the top level that it's great to see it opening up. It's great to see it at all levels. But there's nothing better than fans at games. There's no doubt in that. As a commentator, you feed off it. As a player, you feed off it. You know, as a, as a, a, a fan, you're feeding off the other fans. So having people at games 
make the games better. There's no doubt in that. Obviously, safely at this point in time until we get through, you know, the vaccination program. But it's brilliant to see it. In England, they've shown, you know, that it can work. Tonight at the Champions League, there'll be, again, fans at that. And it makes a big difference. And when you hear professional players from Manchester City and Chelsea talking about the difference of having fans at the arena... You know, then it, you suddenly realize, like, even at that level, which is the top level in, the, in, in their profession, they want to have people there. And going to this point about, you know, you want to hear what the management is saying and the selectors are saying, little do we think we actually will be able to hear that so easily. Yeah. But to have the fans back, John, is, is, is going to be brilliant in, in our country this year in the GA. I do hope that by the time we get to our own final, we'll have a massive crowd in Crow Park. Maybe we can't fill it because just we, we may not be at that stage, but that we'll have huge numbers because it may makes the game. It makes the game better for the players, as I said, for the, for the spectators and for the media and for the people watching. There's a bit of buzz and there's a bit of excitement. So I'm looking yeah. forward to it and long may that continue. Very briefly, Timmy, you got the jersey and the scarf on tonight? Yeah, I've actually... Um, my first memory of the Champions League actually is the reason why I followed Chelsea, which was in 1968. Uh, in Cork, we had only uh, basically RT and we'd seen um, football in the uh, European Cup final, the Cup Winners Cup final, the Fairs Cup final and the FA Cup. That's all we saw back in, in, in 68 when I was a youngster. And um, this team won, won the Cup, which was Man United. And then two years later, I remember uh, Chelsea winning the FA Cup. And both teams wore navy. And I thought this team in navy always wore one cup. So that's why I started <laughs> following Chelsea, because nobody followed Chelsea. So I have a jersey from um, the, that cup final, um, a replica jersey of that cup final. So that'll be on tonight. My children are Chelsea fans. My grandchildren are all Chelsea fans. Now, there was no pressure. They had a free license once they followed Chelsea, obviously. That, that's, that's right. So the three households tonight will be fully um, geared up and fingers crossed that, you know, we get through it. But look, it's a game. It's a sport. And, you know, I want Chelsea to win. The City fans yeah. want um, them to win. And all the neutral fans I know, like Grania okay. and you, John, want Chelsea to win. Absolutely. Well, Timmy McCarthy, the best. Look, Grania as well. Thanks so much for joining us on the Saturday panel this afternoon. Thank you, John. Go Margaret. See you, John. Go Margaret. This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. We're back between three and five with Football Saturday. Mark Lawrence and Andy Reid looking ahead to the Champions League final with Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward. Don't go away. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation. 